Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the riches of the earth. It was the opposite of what he said to Jacob. You will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob. I think we can understand. That's, that's understandable. That's fair. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing and Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebecca, mom, she heard about Esau's plans. So she sent for Jacob and told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. Now we read this and we're like, oh man, there's a bunch of crazy people. Like you've never consoled yourself with thinking evil towards someone who's offended you, right? Oh, everybody got wrong. Don't look around. You've never laid in bed at night thinking of, I could clip their brake lines pretty easily. I need a ghillie suit and a sniper rifle. I mean, other people have thought that, not me. I did not think that. <laughs> they wouldn't even see it coming. They just <laughs> didn't understand. It's good that you didn't understand that. Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you, verse 43. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. So we're back to the map. Now, Jacob, uh, he flees Beersheba down here, and he's going to go north up to Haran in the region of Padan Aram, uh, where uh, at the north of the map. Now, here in, in Bethel, where this little flag is, this is the spot where we tell the story, where the story happens of Jacob. Jacob, on his way to run away from Esau, he stops for the night. He has a dream. He dreams about the staircase that's leading into heaven. And that is where God makes the promise to Jacob that the land that he's running through to get away from his brother through the land of Canaan, God promises it to Jacob after he has promised it to granddad Abraham. Are you with me? He's running because he's a terrible person. And God says, hey, by the way, Jacob, I'm giving you all this land. Why doesn't God say, oh, caught him. <laughs> That's what Brent would do. But no, God says, hey, Jacob, stop for just a minute. I want you to look around. This is the land that I promised your grandpa Abraham. This is the land that I'm going to give to you. So Jacob goes on. He gets to Haran up here in Padan Aram. Uh, he meets his uncle Laban, which ironically is an equally deceptive person. This whole family, 
are heathens. They would have fit at Thanksgiving dinner, huh? Right? Yeah, they're all just terrible sinners. They're all deceptive. No good people. Watch this. Jacob makes a deal. He gets there. And of course, there's always a girl in the story. He gets there. He notices Laban's daughter. Not the first one, the second one. He goes, wow, she's kind of cute. So Jacob makes a plan, a deal with Uncle Laban to marry his daughter after seven years of work. The pretty daughter, by the way, there's a qualifier. Women always get offended whenever I tell this story. I don't know why. It's what the Bible says. Jacob works for seven years because he's in love with this girl. There's a wedding. There's a wedding night. There's a next morning. Oops, wrong sister. Laban had slipped the much less attractive sister Leah into the bedroom. I just, side note, maybe this is a little oversharing. But I think... Even in the dark, I would be like, I don't think this is the right girl. <laughs> Just, yeah, something to think about at lunch this afternoon. Jacob, he's like, nope, not cool. He's married to Leah now. He didn't really like her. Uh, Jacob makes a deal with Laban again to work for seven years to marry Rachel because she was the pretty one and the one that he loved. So God, God enabled Leah to have children and she has several children, but Rachel could not conceive so after several years of doing very well managing Laban's flocks, if you remember, he takes over his uncle's flocks and he, he starts paying himself out of the flock and his flocks are doing well. Jacob's flocks are doing well. Laban gets all upset. Uh, Rachel ends up giving birth to her firstborn son, Joseph. Uh, Jacob decides to return home. He wants to go back to where his dad lives. And so they're going to take off and they're going to go south. Right here, they're going to leave Haran. They're going to leave. They're going to come down here. That's the orange line. By the way, this red line is when Esau is coming up to greet his brother. So the orange line is they're making a run for it. Uh, Uncle Laban's going to follow them because Laban wants to get his daughters and his grandkids back. And Jacob's like, nope, we're just going, making a run for it. Uh, this blue line right here, I don't, it's not very, this one's green. This one's kind of blue. Uh, kind of teal, I guess. That one there is where he's going to go off into the desert and uh, he's, he's at the Jacob River and J Jacob wrestles with God. And that, that's significant because at that place where the, where the Jacob River is or the Jacob River uh, is where God, uh, he wrestles with, with Jacob. Jacob says, let me go. And God, uh, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And the angel or God touches his hip, changes his name from Jacob to anybody? Israel. That's huge because now we have Israel. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So Jacob, Rachel, Leah, the rest of the whole family, they are going to go down and they're going to settle in Bethel for a while. Okay. So they, they actually cross, they come over here, they go to Shechem for a little bit. They end up settling in, in Bethel for a little bit. Uh, then Jacob moves his family down to Bethlehem. Um, I think, I'm, yeah, 
He moves him to Bethlehem where his son Rachel gives birth to Benjamin in Bethlehem. Bethlehem seems like an important uh, part of the story. Uh, Jacob, then he moves his family on down here to Hebron. And that is where Jacob, uh, is. Isaac's still alive there, evidently in the story. Uh, Jacob and Esau are going to get together. They're going to bury Isaac in Hebron. Okay, So now we're all back in Hebron when we get to number three. Oh my goodness, we got to hurry. So this is number three, Israel. And whenever I say Israel, I mean Jacob goes to Egypt. All of the descendants of Jacob is going to Egypt. We're going to go on a little trip here. Jacob was uh, already pretty old when Joseph was born to Rachel. Uh, Jacob overtly favored Joseph. You know, we love all of our kids. We like some of them. Hopefully you like some of them. Maybe you don't like any of your kids, but you love them, right? Well, Jacob overtly favored Joseph. I like the way y'all look at me very seriously. Can't believe you just said that. Oh, you know it's true. Joseph was a stereotypical uh, younger brother. He was spoiled, tattletale. Uh, and then, uh, so what happens is the older brothers, they take the herds of animals and they're gonna go from Hebron uh, up to Shechem to feed all of the animals, to, to take care of the herds. There's better grazing up there. So Jacob calls uh, Joseph, his son Joseph in, uh, gives him a new coat of many colors, uh, big deal. And he says, hey, I need you to go check on your brothers. Go, go see how they're doing up there, up there in Shechem, which is, it's a pretty significant trip. Uh, so he's going to go up there and check on the guys and then come back with a report, right? So Joseph, he's probably about 17 years old at this point in the story. Joseph, he takes the keys to the family camel and he's going to travel to Shechem. It's a four-wheel drive camel, by the way. Um, so he's going to Shechem. He gets to Shechem, and somebody there says, oh, no, 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 your brothers went, all, went further up into the mountains, into Dothan, because up in the mountains, it would have been a little higher. There's a little more water, a little more green, a little more uh, grazing for the animals. So off Joseph goes across the desert and up towards the mountains to Dothan to see his brothers and how they are doing so he can report back to to his dad. That gets us to Genesis 37, verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, because they're kind of up in the mountains, they see this, this, they see this person walking out kind of in the plain. I think we can relate to that here in Farmington. We have, we have mountains and plains, and so you see somebody coming up close. I think that the brothers, they're, they're like, hey, see that kid out there walking? That's our little brother. You know he's out there. Because Joseph was a punk. So yeah, of course he walked like that. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they're like, that's Joseph. They recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. This is not a normal family. <laughs> like, is so-and-so coming to Thanksgiving lunch? Yeah, let's kill him whenever he comes in the door. Wow. So they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill their little brother. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Now, the cisterns is this big hole in the ground that holds a lot of water. Probably had a spring in the bottom. So they're geniuses. Whenever there's a spring, they dig and create a holding tank, basically, that can fill up with water whenever the season is right. So there's water in there. It creates a holding tank. Whenever they need to water their animals, they don't just have a well that goes straight down or a small spring. They have a reservoir of water. Well, sometimes these cisterns go dry. Okay. So come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, let's lie to dad. A wild animal has he eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. 
But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness, and then he'll die without our laying a hand on him, because that seems much better. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to, the, to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? <laughs> I don't know that... That's not something you say in your family very often. What would we get out of killing our brother? Let's just talk about this a little bit. Let's weigh this all out. What will we gain by killing our brother? We have to cover up, well, we'd have to cover up this crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him up out of the cistern and sold him to them, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. When he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will we do now? The brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood then sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Horrible thing to do to your dad, by the way, in case you were thinking of doing that. Verse 33, their father, remember he's Jacob, their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph was clearly torn. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So I put a contemporary map up so you can see they made this trip. Uh, here is Israel. Um, you can see Jerusalem is there. This, this map doesn't blow up and zoom in like the other one does. But they're going to make this trip all the way over here to Egypt. You see Cairo on uh, there. In the, there. This is all Egypt now. So they're going to make that trip across there. Now what happens is a big deal. Here, here's what's going to happen. Once, once Joseph is here in Egypt, Joseph, you may remember this story because Disney made a movie about it, and I figure you watched the movie. You may not read your Bible, but you do watch movies, so you do know some Bible stories. Zing! So what happens next is a really big deal. Joseph ends up in prison, accused of raping the Pharaoh's wife. That didn't work out right. I mean, that's as unfair as it possibly gets. This seems to be going the wrong direction on the map. 
through several miraculous events, Joseph rises from prison to be the number two leader in the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt. God gave, made a covenant with Abraham for Canaan, and then his descendant is number two in Egypt. It just seems like this story belongs back in Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham. Doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what God is doing. It gets worse. There's a famine. There's a famine throughout all the map. Do you think I was going to say land? There's a famine throughout all the map. Egypt is the only place that has grain because Joseph knew that there was going to be a famine, so he set some grain aside. So so Joseph's brothers leave Hebron and they come to, they leave Hebron and they come over here to Egypt to get grain because they want to buy grain to take it home to their family so that they don't starve. Joseph recognizes them. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And just to prove that he hasn't grown up any, he messes with them a lot. Like he scares the pee waddle out of them. That's a Hebrew word. I'm not sure what it means, pee waddle. Just kidding. That gets us to verse 40, uh, chapter 45, verse 4. He says, so, so this is where they've gone back and forth several times. They come in. Uh, this is the last time he's about to reveal who he is to his brothers. And he says, please come closer. He's the number two man in all of Egypt. He's accused them of stealing from him multiple times. They go, they come back, they go, they come back. He's messing with them. They are so afraid of Joseph. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Now at that point, Joseph draws his sword and he starts lopping off heads and the heads of the brothers roll. Come on! I could write this story so much better. Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph gets the big picture. He knows that there is a God in heaven who is watching over. And when we think things are going sideways, God is saying, no, this is going right ways. This is going exactly where I need it to go. Because God has a purpose, and his purpose is not your purpose. Thank God for it. He tells him, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be, not, there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here not you. 
And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. You did nothing that I'm going to hold against you. God has done this all, and we are all good because God has a purpose. Verse 9, now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. Verse 12. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so so you can, uh, and so can my brother Joseph, that I, uh, my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. That's an emotional scene. That's, there seems to be no hard feelings over garbage that has happened because they see, they recognize that God has a purpose. So why are you making an issue of this, Brent? Because sometimes we get hard feelings against other people because we're like, oh, look what they did. Can you just calm down? Maybe God's the one at work. Maybe it has nothing to do with you and them. Maybe it has to do with God. Just saying. And then the Pharaoh invited Pharaoh's, Joseph's family to all move to Egypt. And there's this beautiful story there that I don't have time for. So, so Joseph is here. He sends his brothers back. They're going to grab everything. They're going to come back. All the brothers return to get their dad, Jacob, uh, the man that God has named Israel. All of his position, uh, possessions in this world are coming from Canaan, from the promised land, to Egypt. All of his family, all of his descendants, all the descendants of Israel, everyone moves from the the land of promise to Egypt. They move from the land of promise, Abraham's covenant with God, to Egypt. This story is like, I feel like it's a car that pulls to the right really bad. You know, you're trying to stay on the road, but it just keeps going, wants to go off in the ditch, and you're trying to keep it straight. God, you told us where you're going. Now you're, you've got us going sideways. All It's just pulling to the right. We have the wrong women for wives, the wrong children. Now we have the entire cast of God's people is moving away from the land of promise and moving out to the desert of Egypt. It makes no sense. Moving Jacob's family to Egypt is not a punishment for their sin. You Okay. Because sometimes preachers do that. They're like, oh yeah, they went into slavery because of their sin. No, not in this instance. No, not that at all. Joseph was not a particularly bad person. He was a snotty little brat, uh, but he didn't do any real major harm. In fact, all the way back to Abraham, we have Abraham had lied several times about his wife. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other stories, but um, not anything too major serious. Isaac, uh, he wasn't all that terrible either. He wasn't a good guy, but he wasn't all that bad. Jacob, he was a deceiver, but so was the entire family. And so uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't unnecessarily sinned. <laughs> 
That's really bad theology there, isn't it? We tend to categorize bad circumstances, kind of like the last few years. You hear, you hear Christians do this a lot. You know, bad circumstances, or in some cases, unexpected circumstances when God didn't do what I thought he should do. Bad circumstances and unexpected circumstances, that must be God's judgment for somebody's sin. Or we say, oh, must be out of God's will. God, God fell asleep and Joseph got sold into Egypt. Oh my goodness, what happened? That's not where the story's supposed to go. God knows exactly where the story's going. Cool your heels. The idea that every time there's bad circumstances is God's judgment is not consistent with scripture. God sends COVID, it's like God's judgment. No, maybe, maybe not. Just get over it. It is what it is. Take it one, one moment at a time. I mentioned earlier, Romans chapter nine, I'm hurrying. Lord, help us. Lord, make the hands of the clock stand still. Uh, Romans 9, Paul is laying out God's plan for redeeming the world. He outlines a lot of what I've talked about today, these stories, but then he specifically mentions Jacob and Esau, and he says, and I'm gonna put several more verses with it so you have a little more context in Romans 9, because, all right, Romans 9. But before they were born, Jacob and Esau, before Jacob and Esau were born, before they had done anything good or bad, got that? Before they were born, they had not done anything good, they had done nothing bad. She, their mom, received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. Well, what about my purposes? Nobody cares about your purposes. Your purposes are teeny tiny and God doesn't even know. Doesn't care. God doesn't, God doesn't care about my purposes? No, because his purposes are glorious. Your purposes are pathetic. You okay? This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works, which is exactly what Paul, that's why he puts it in this text, because Paul is making the case that we are saved by grace, not by works. You do not earn your salvation. Jacob and Esau, not even born. God had chosen one, rejected the other. Well, that's not fair. Well, then you be a God and make up your own religion. No. It's not based on you being good or you being bad. It is based on God's purposes. So she was told, your older son will serve your younger, your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. God's story of salvation is not required to go the way that you think it should. You okay? God's story of salvation is not required to go the way that you think it should. God's story doesn't have to fit into what you think it ought to be. Every once in a while, people will, will ha I'll have conversations with people in my office or, you know, at lunch or potluck or whatever, and they start telling me what they believe about salvation. And I'm like, you realize salvation is a biblical idea. And if your ideas of salvation didn't come from the Bible, then you really don't have a biblical view of salvation. And therefore, what you're saying is just kind of... It makes no sense. We either do biblical salvation or we don't do salvation. You don't get to decide, well, let's, let's have salvation. God's going to provide me salvation and it's going to be based on how good I am. That's a moronic idea because just as we've read with all of these families who are patriarchs throughout the whole Old Testament, you're never going to be good. You're never going to be good. 
You're never going to be good. We need, I feel like I'm harping on you guys. We need God to send his son to shed the eternal lifeblood of his own kind to wash away your sins because you'll never be good enough. But because God did that, not based on whether or not you were good, but based on the fact that he is great and mighty and God, he can wash away all your sins. We can all stand here today and hold our little cup of communion and our little cracker and we can celebrate that God's purpose in salvation has nothing to do with you being good or bad. It has everything to do with him being glorious. God has a purpose in his salvation. From our perspective, God is using the wrong guy, the wrong mom, the wrong child, the wrong place. The whole time, God is working to reveal in you that he is God that you are not, that he is the God of salvation. He is the God of deliverance, which we may do next week, who knows? He's the God of eternal life. He is the God of those who are deceitful and angry. Well, I thought he was just the God of churchgoers like us. No, that's not what the text tells us. He is the God of the second born and the, and the barren mom. He is the God of the kidnapped and the accused God's purpose, not yours, is revealed in his salvation. God chooses people, the descendants of Abraham. God's chosen people, pardon me, the descendants of Abraham. They'll be enslaved for 400 years. It's not because they were good. It's not because they were bad. God's purpose is revealed in his salvation. We question what, what God is doing in our lives or, or we, we question what God is doing in, in contemporary history and time and events. But history bears out that God, listen church, God always knows exactly where he is taking his people, directing his salvation, working out his purposes in his timing for his glory. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.